All right. Well, welcome everybody. Glad you're joining us. Some of you for the first time, you, you online. Uh, glad that you stayed tuned. And um, we got Rachel with, uh, handy with the mic this morning. So, yeah, if you think you have to sneeze, you better ask her for a mic, okay? <laughs> yes, yeah, we got to know. We know you at home want to know what's going on. We want to make sure uh, that we're all on the same page. All right, so as everybody's talking out there, and that's fine, keep going. Uh, we're going to get started in here. We have a lot to go to the to go through today. I started this and I had about a page and a half, two pages of notes, and then I get back into it. Now it's four. So let's go. All right, so visible themes today as we looked at the text, and this is Jesus calling the first disciples, uh, and it namely focuses on uh, Peter primarily, but we got Jesus calls. We have our toiling without Jesus, and we have Jesus surpassing worth is what Jesus, is what Peter doesn't see that when, he's, when the text starts, uh, but afterwards he sees it. So it's, it's our prayer that everybody who experiences this text, that the Spirit would, would grant the same uh, sight of, Jesus, of seeing Jesus surpassing worth. And that's really a good definition of what worship is. Uh, so it's knowing, beholding, savoring Jesus surpassing worth. So even if you're just doing your dishes, you're worshiping because you're satisfied. And we see Jesus, the reorienter. All right. All right, so up to now, Luke has established the program of Jesus' ministry. As Leonard said today, there's a lot of, been a lot of emphasis on who he is, his person, um, his uniqueness, and his preaching. But now he moves to establish uh, the sovereign lordship, first with Peter, and then James and John. And then as we continue into Luke 5, with social outcasts and sinners and Lepers and Levi, uh, sinners whom he came to save. All right, so let's, let's go. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, that just means it happened, um, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, and oh, that this would be the reality in the church today, that we would be pressing in to hear the word of God, uh, just like these people. Um, from FCC to the underground and persecuted churches that only God and they know about. Um, uh, and only and God is only known by His Word. Um, the 1689 London Baptist Confession starts out with this in Article One: the Holy Scripture. Remember, Jesus is the Word Himself speaking. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave man inexcusable, they are not sufficient. We can't just look at creation and know how to be saved, is what this is saying. Uh, they are not sufficient to give knowledge of God and his will. All knowledge, John Calvin said, all knowledge consists uh, of this, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. Okay. Um, they are insufficient to give knowledge of God and his will. We need his written word. Praise God that he provides it. It's black and white and red if you have that kind of Bible. Um, this is God speaking. This is a powerful um, instrument here. Um, conveying to us, like Jesus is God revealing salvation. He is the word. Um, and that's what's happening. 
All right, so I actually want to take a minute to pray and thank God for what he's been doing lately. Uh, Susan and I were just talking about this. The word is becoming more and more here. The gospel is coming into us more and it's moving around and people are reading their Bibles more and you're sitting here. So Father, thank you for what you've done through your word. Thank you for what you're doing through Luke, uh, the book of Luke and through Jesus. Jesus, you are alive and well right now and you are communicating everything that you first established through your word as Luke documents it and we hear it. Yes, you're speaking to Peter. Yes, you're speaking to the crowd, but today we're recipients of your word. So may you help us to be biblically accurate. Uh, May uh, may we have biblical accuracy um, uh, and humbled and redeemed motives as we go into this. May we uh, just live off of every word that comes from the mouth of God, as Jesus said a few chapters back, and and be gospel-flourishing, gospel-nourished. that we would be a church pleasing to you as you are a God who is reigning and ruling through your word, by your spirit, glorifying Christ in us individually and as a mass, as a people, as a, as a living body. So thank you for all the work that you're doing to bring this about. And we praise your holy name. And it's for your holy name we pray and continue. Amen. All right, he was standing by the lake in a seret. How did you say that earlier? Because I think we said it, Genasaret, the Sea of Galilee, uh, and he and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little. For, uh, he asked to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, all right, Luke doesn't allow the next event. Uh, as miraculous as it is, to take precedent over Jesus' teaching ministry. Okay, so that he emphasizes here, Jesus essentially makes himself a, uh, an auditorium, or a, a, a just, he's on, his voice carries over the water, and the people hear. We can get spiritual about that, and he, he comes over the way, but no. So just leave, let the text lay right there. Um, but Jesus, Luke is faithful uh, and intentionable, intentional about making sure that Jesus' teaching ministry is what's emphasized. Remember in the, how the last chapter closed? Um, and when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Preaching takes precedent. Uh, And he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. All right, so Simon Peter, he'd met him before. If you read 1 John, or if you read uh, John 1, rather, sorry. uh, That looks like the first time that they meet. So they meet before this. And remember, either before or after, we don't know if it's in order, um, or I don't know. Um, He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He spends the day or the night at the house where all the town is coming. Uh, so Peter had heard him preach and witnessed Jesus in action. And so, and so he's had this drawing in. Jesus has, he's seen these things in Jesus. And, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. He doesn't feel like it. He's tired. The night was a bust. He, he, 
and they have failed. They're ready to go to bed. I'm cleaning their nets. It's, it's closed up time, sweeping the floor kind of thing. Um, and Peter feels this. But at your word, I will let down the nets. But he believes. One, witnessing Jesus' uh, past faithfulness pushes back against today's doubts. And number two, faith transcends circumstances. Because we believe that God can do all things, including bending the natural order. Not that Peter at all expects what's about to happen to happen. Having, he can bend the natural order, which is a small definition of what a miracle is. Um, he can bend that because he created it. Faith hopes, even when it's weighed down by other factors. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. It's abundance. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. All right, this miracle is about more than just hooking these guys up with fish or Jesus just merely showing his power. Uh, there, there's a design behind it. It can, it can mean those lesser points, uh, relying on God's provision and help in life circumstances. And if, and if we were a prosperity-preaching kind of church, if I was a prosperity kind of guy, that's probably all we'd focus on. But that's not what this miracle is doing. Blessing is never the point. Blessing is to lead. Blessing is to, the, the purpose behind blessing is to lead us to the source and humble us in view of the source. Provision, in this case, the, this blessing is a, is a provision, is a stream that's meant to take us back to the source. Everything that we, and that's how a Christian is to be thankful because a Christian knows yeah, I got this, or I was freed from this, or I was helped. And a lot of churches just focus just on that, focus just on the blessing, but it's meant to lead us back to the one who opened his hands to us and gave it. Uh, focusing on the blessing, as is popular, can only create pride, and pride, pride believes I deserve, and uses God as a means to more, which is the true God and prosperity teaching self, essentially. I mean, we'll get to that in chapter 6. But they caught nothing the night before, but at his command, all this. In and of themselves, they were failures toiling in the night. Even if they had a good night, it wouldn't have been anywhere near nets breaking and two boats sinking. This was a special occurrence. So even if... Um, uh, see, this isn't about being Christ being the better, more lucrative means. This is a message about Christ being the better, the only way. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Of course, everything lands on him. Peter witnesses the miracle. He's instantly humbled, and it shoots him straight to Christ. He has the right reaction. But Simon Peter saw it. Or, but when Simon Peter saw it, verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, he doesn't call him sir. He doesn't call him master anymore. Remember, he said master at your word will let down the, let, the nets. All right, no. I am a sinful man, O Lord. The reality of, just, of Peter, or the reality of Jesus just became the reality to Peter. The reality. 
He doesn't run from Jesus to help the others and rejoice. He turns, crumbles, and confesses. Peter has a very biblical response to encountering God, and it sounds a little like Isaiah 6, right? You know your Bible, doesn't it? Um, Knees buckled, woe is me. No big vision like Isaiah had, because when we behold Jesus for who he is, we don't need anything more. Isaiah sees all this glory in the heavenly host in the heavenly realm surrounding God himself. And Peter sees Jesus on the shore and has the same reaction Isaiah did. We know, or we need to know, the same one who sat on the throne in Isaiah 6 is standing over Peter here. I almost want to go read that account just to, but we got a lot more work to do. Put that in your notes. Go read Isaiah 6 and then read this again. You'll see uh, a lot of similarities. We need, and, 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 and the one who's standing over Peter here is no less powerful, no less holy, even though he's wearing mankind on him. He's wearing flesh now. He's, he's not sitting on the throne high and lifted with the seraphim and the, the temple filled with smoke and holy, holy, holy. Uh, he's there in normal clothes, just like Peter has on. What a humble God. But we need to behold. Man must repent. Peter's full story tells us that we live a life of repentance. If you read the full story, as Leonard was talking today, uh, if the story would have ended here and we wouldn't have heard much from Peter, we'd never know that, and we'd never have the peace of knowing that Peter's life is to give us great hope because we are continually sin- sinning. Peter botches it bad. Does the same thing Judas does. Denies Christ. Even to the, the text tells us he gets, he gets abrasive with his language about it. No, I won't deny you. And then he gets abrasive with his language again, saying, no, I don't know him. So Peter, thank God that Peter is in our Bible. We have his life as to rescue us from the Shame of our own sinful natures. Peter's full story. Yeah. Peter should give us hope. So long before, and, and, and look at this, long before Luke speaks, and I got, I, uh, I got this out of my commentary, I want to make that clear. Uh, long before Luke speaks of Gentiles and their gross sins, and their being included in saving grace, we see this obedient Jew, which is what Peter would have been, In Acts 10, you see him arguing with God, arguing with his vision he sees. He says, I've never eaten anything unclean when God's making, when God's purifying all foods. Uh, We know he was obedient. But long before any of us were welcomed to the throne, Gentile speaking, um, we see this obedient Jew taking the place of a sinner. Peter beholds his unworthiness in beholding Christ. Peter can't take Jesus' presence then. His flesh is fleeting. The power, yes, but just his presence broke Peter. He's mindful of me. Oh, no. This miracle has nothing to do with the fish or provision in the primary sense. If we saw, beheld God, we'd know two things instantly, how good he is and how good we're not. 
we are sinners because we sin, not because we sin from time to time. I was talking to Liz last week. Um, not because we sin from time to time. We sin because it's who we are at our core. It's not floating around within us. Like it's, it, would you drink a glass of water even if it just had a drop of poison in it? Um, a drop of poison poisons the whole thing. We behold God who's holy to his core and the right response is trembling. It humbles us. It communicates to us our depravity and the need for grace and mercy. We can only cry out to him. Uh, Martin Luther on his deathbed said, are you sure? He was asked, are you sure about everything about your entire life that uh, that you've devoted your life to? Are you absolutely sure? And he said, we are all beggars before God. And that's how he went into the kingdom. Supposedly his last words, perhaps. And So that light goes green. Okay, now we have a question. Thanks, Ray. I had a comment because uh, the Catholic Church claims that Peter's the first pope. So actually, the church is lifting, or the Catholic Church is lifting up Peter. Hmm. But when Peter says, I'm a sinful man, that's exactly what Isaiah said. And we look up to these people. They've shown their sinfulness that they are sinners. And I think that's the first sign of salvation. Uh, we got to look to Christ. He's the perfect one. He's the prophet, priest, high priest, and the king once they become Christians. And so when, when Peter says, I'm a sinful man, he realizes, because Peter seems, thought he was a great fisherman. When Christ became the great fisherman, like he is a great physician, he loaded both boats out there. They couldn't even. Yeah. They never did that in one day's catch. In the middle of the day, too. Like, yeah. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. The way you're talking, that's what I'm getting out of what you're saying. Um, yeah. Yeah. You have this expert fisherman. I mean, he has a, he's a part of a business. He has partners. This is. And then. And then Jesus comes along and says to go back out after they've been out failing all this time in the in the day. When, when you don't fish, and then this happens, or it's not about, it's not about the fish. Um, we need His grace and mercy. And look, uh, Peter's "Woe is me!" knees buckled. Um, that's the only place he meets us. The door to salvation is a low one. Um, he exalts the humble, resists the proud. Uh, the moment we know our need and sacrifice ourselves in a broken spirit, which Psalm 51 says he will not reject, he meets that need. Uh, and Jesus is about to reorient Peter. Comes the next uh, meaning of the text. Jesus is the great reorienter. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so, and, and also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, 
There's, the, there's Jesus' inner circle who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, what does Peter get for all his fear and trembling? <coughs> Excuse me. He said to Simon, don't be afraid. Uh, this has to be the most comforting thing Peter had ever heard in his life. Uh, the only one worthy of, our, worthy of our trembling, who has every good reason to reject us, embraces. And we see what it's about to cause in Peter. And a side note, uh, when we get there, we'll get there. Later in the book of Luke, chapter 12, I'm thinking of. But when it comes to the fear of man, it's good self-talk to remind yourself, God is the only one worthy of my trembling. Especially in the world that we are getting ready to walk into, potentially, which is nothing new. Just our time to, to embrace this more than ever. God is the only one worthy of our trembling. Jesus said to him, from now on, you will be catching men. Reoriented. Again, uh, this is about God's design for man's purpose. God's provision and power isn't to be squandered on our dreams, our businesses, our families, and hobbies. Yes, God will. God blesses us with joy in those things. God's provision, power, and grace is for the glory of his name. Peter here, and we here, are invited into that. We get a restored, enlarged purpose. If you look at the world, um, some of the wealthiest, most self-satisfied people, um, some of the most miserable, and some of the most poor and persecuted are full of joy. Uh, I think Tom Brady said before he won a thousand Super Bowls. Um, well, he was on four or five. He was, he's, he's a man who has more wealth than all of us. Yes, I don't know some of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's a man, uh, none of you have won a Super Bowl, okay? Just do that. All right. He's won. He needs two hands to have his rings. That's Tom Brady. So he's got a legacy. He's got a Hall of Fame. Not a, he's the top. He's, he's, uh, people call him the, the greatest athlete of all time. Uh, not just of football, but of sports. He's been called that. Uh, but he was quoted as saying, having all this supermodel wife, bright and shiny teeth kids, money, houses, legacy. Um, there has to be more than this. This can't be it. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? Any, any of you ever heard of that? The, uh, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy, and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. That's what God made us for. Uh, before this moment, uh, Peter... He was trying to have a successful business. He was, he was seeking to obey God, but, but now Jesus came along 
and now he seeks to glorify God. So what's the meaning of life? In our deadness, it has to be to build our own names and kingdoms. In life, second birth, um, it's put right. He glorified his name, building his kingdom and enjoying him forever. God made us for joy. It's a breath of fresh air, yeah? Not all. It's not all duty. That's part of it. Not a burden, Joe says, yes. It's, uh, it's duty and delight. Those things are coupled. They, they dance with each other in the Christian soul. All right. And so like Isaiah, Peter, James, and John will be given a ministry, ministry of message. Peter, or uh, Isaiah is told, go and say to these people, and he gives them a message of woe, lament, and hopelessness, a message of not yet. All right, now we're in the messianic times. And the disciples are told, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. They receive a message of life. A message of now, a message of today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. God is the one who, God, the God who's on the throne in Isaiah, left his throne and is standing on the shore as Jesus Christ and is with us now always to the very end of the age. He's with you as you're writing your notes right now. He's with me while I was writing this. He's with Leonard as he was reading this and studying with us as we were talking about it. He's going to be, he's waiting at your house for you the same as he's with you right now. He's in tomorrow as much as he's in today. That's it's the kind of stuff that you think about when you're going to bed. It helps you sleep. I think he's got us with us. Isaiah's message fell on deaf ears, blind eyes, and hard hearts, if you read the text. The disciples' message of Jesus is the cure to our deaf ears, blind eyes, and hard hearts. He's off the throne and active in his gospel as it's proclaimed. Read about that in Second Thessalonians Two fourteen, Romans one sixteen. And note, uh, Jesus doesn't ask Peter. Bear with me for a second. He gives, he didn't give Peter the option. Does he call Peter by his miracle, or does he call Peter by his command? You will become a fisherman of men. In this, God used Peter, Peter's little faith and overrode his entire destiny. By his grace, making him willing, Jesus doesn't force him. He also didn't give him any other option. How could he go back? And when we're presented with Jesus and we're, uh, our life is laid bare, we see his holiness and we, fear our, we feel our unholiness. That's what I experienced at salvation, and I don't base my my conversion. We shouldn't base our conversions on each other's. Uh, you're not saved by a decision you made. Don't rely on a decision you made to accept Christ into your heart. You rely on the finished work of Christ 2,000 years ago on the cross and resurrection. That's what you bank on. Because after beholding Jesus, there's no options. 
everything has been simplified and highlighted right there in him. So we could either go back, continued denial. I believe that while we do not have the ability to choose between or do have the ability to choose between obeying or not, we can reject, we can sin, we do. But we don't have the ability to resist God's effectual call. It's not that he forces, but he doesn't leave you any other option. And it's a mystery, and I can't go very deep into it, my own understanding. Yeah. 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 But then you're like, what are the other options? Yeah. I mean, then that's an embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, There's people making some of Yeah. We got two microphones if you. You mentioned joy. <laughs> All right. You mentioned joy a minute ago. And we find joy in a lot of things. Yeah. We find joy in things that we do well, things that we enjoy doing. But there is no joy like having the presence of Christ yeah. in your life. There's just nothing that compares. And it's really up to us to invite him in or invite him out, which we do in the course of a given day. We invite him in, and we're like, yeah, we don't, well, I'm not ignoring you now, but I'll invite you in and, and go through that process. But when we bring him into things, we experience that profound joy. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, yeah, we have choice. But it becomes sort of like, but who would make that choice? Yeah. You know, it'd be like, you know, some people kind of compare it to eating a steak versus eating, I'll just compare it to a White Castle hamburger. No comparison. Like, why would I do that? Or eating a steak or eating dog vomit. I'll just be crude. Yeah, okay. No, that's, that's essentially yeah. the contrast. And you realize, yeah, I have a choice here, but it's not really even a consideration. Yeah, no, it's in our first nature, He gives us a new nature. I mean, you can't, ch- I don't want this to be too offensive, just a little bit, but if you have a pig, if you grew up on a farm, and you have, and we call it forward, it's in the back of the church, and we have garbage, and we have fine table steak, that pig, according to its nature, is gonna run up and go right to the garbage. Yeah, 10 times out of 10. Unless it receives a new nature. And so, Christians are those who have received that new nature. And apart from having that new nature, that born again, garbage, going to the things of the world, darkness, when the offer on the table is all this instead. Rachel, yeah. She's got three. Oh, the, the mics are picking up on top. Just talk with okay. Yell at me. There we go. Okay, I thought it was ironic that in this, in this chapter that we were reading that they pointed out that they did fish the night before, 
Yeah. They didn't catch any of it. And I think in our life, as we're going things, it's okay, like Leonard said, well, would you rather eat dog bark or would you rather do this? But if you've never tasted dog bark, you have no idea what it feels like, tastes like, that's yeah. sickening. So when you live in sin mm -hmm. and you're there and you realize yeah. what this is about and how deep it's taking you down, then when God comes in and is sitting there with his hand wide open, it's so much easier at that point to realize what the choice needs to be. Right. Right? And you're com and you Lord, yeah. you're completely can't have eyes on it unless you've done it. it yeah, unless you've had to feel it. Yeah. We're, I we're, know when Christ came to me, yeah. you know, when, when when I had to make the changes, it, it was to the point where you almost wanted to throw up the sin that you were doing. Yeah. Because it was it was like you were completely like you were just doing it over and over. And you were trying to figure out why I couldn't get out of this. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that, that night on the boat, yeah. Peter's probably saying to himself, well, what am I doing wrong? Why am I not doing this? And he keeps repeating the same thing to do the fish. He's not doing anything different because he didn't catch anything. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think as, as Christians, as we see when God works in our life, now we, we're able to see. So in some ways, I think when we were born in sin, when the first sin was taking place, that was, you know, obviously for a reason. Mm -hmm. For us to be able to appreciate God and understand what he truly is. Mm -hmm. If we never would have sin, obviously we'd be perfect, it'd be a different world. But now we do, and it's so nice to be able to see the other side and realize. Just like Peter did. Yep. He realized he couldn't do it. Yeah. And it's amazing. All he does, he doesn't force. All he has to do is show. Just present himself. And it's enough. It's just him revealing ourselves and us beholding him. It's more than any other. Well, that is the only way to lead to the salvation. We can't work our way there. We need to see him. <clears throat> All right. And yeah. On that note, in our in our studies on Luke, Luke has definitely probably ten or twelve main intentional themes that he's trying to drive home to Theophilus. Mm. And one of them that keeps popping up like whack-a-mole is the ignorance of the people. And Luke really hammers on that theme and kind of brings that to the surface as one of the dynamics that's in play here is the ignorance and the misunderstanding that people have when it comes to Jesus and Peter embodies that so well, of course. Mm. And that's really all of us. Yeah. Until Christ reveals to us the things that we need to see does, it's like, well, I can't unsee that now. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you're Judas and you willfully have a completely different agenda and you haven't bought into the framework that Jesus has set up. Yeah. But if you have, you start to see stuff and then you start to see more stuff and then you start to kind of become like the second Adam. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, he shows us our first state. And that's the and you, we, 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 we see that crying out. He's the only one that can do anything about it. That's the door, the low door into the second state. So they saw his surpassing worth. Oh, and when, the, uh, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. They saw his surpassing worth. And don't see the value in everything that was their identity before. What does everything mean? doesn't mean most things. It means everything, all things. 
they left everything. A mark of salvation is a disinterest in self and a grieving of and a fighting against it when the flesh rears up within. The oxymoron that is a carnal Christian is one that lives for self and wants God to submit to them. To the false God we make ourselves to be. They left everything. There's nothing left in them to, for the, to cling to. They found something that's worth more than everything. Um, there's the, the parable about the pearl in the field, uh, the treasure, Jesus, that's what it's saying. Everything else is expendable next to Christ. And leaving everything is holding all other things with a loose grip, ready to let it go. Like De Niro and um, Al Pacino in that movie Heat. Don't hold anything in your hand that you can't drop in four seconds flat. Like that. <laughs> when you hear the heat coming. Um, and leaving everything for some is a condition of discipleship. Having that loose grip on all things shows that tight grip that God has on you. And we'll talk about that more about that in Luke 14 and 18. Uh, because they and we gain something superior to everything. This is also how we shake off remaining sin and keep it in check. See our weakness and unworthiness and inability and are greeted by his mercy and surpassing strength, worthiness, and grace. It's called the expulsive power of a new affection. When Jesus steps into that place and draws all your affections to him. And over time, you're instantly justified by oh, your lifetime of sanctification. Something overshadows the other things and takes its place. Jesus is the great overshadower. It's a good thing to rest in his shadow. Psalm 91. The gospel tells us ultimately that we need Christ to overshadow us and renew our affections in redeeming grace. That's seeing Jesus surpassing worth. They saw it. And they left family business. And what'd they get? They left job security for eternal security. Be always worth it. God doesn't forget who you've left out or prioritized. Not, he doesn't, uh, not, does he neglect blessings, uh, Christian, for what they've left? Um, says, yeah. He encourages his disciples like, the, like this. This is later on in the book in Luke 17. Peter said, see, we have left our homes to follow you. It says, we have left everything. Um, and he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. He would say, me and my gospel who will not receive many more time, many more, many times more in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. Sam, uh, Samuel Rutherford said, they lose nothing who gain Christ. They, family relationship for restored relationship with God. And Jesus didn't leave them hanging. Left them with two boats full of stuff and partners to take over the business. 
filled with fish, not stuffed. They didn't catch tires like in Forrest Gump or anything like that. Um, he left them loaded to the max. And there, James and John, um, father's business legacy was over. But what did he gain? What did the father gain? We don't know if this is what he thought. This is just inference. But he gained sons who had a legacy of following Jesus now. That's the greatest thing I pray for my boys. Peter was an asset to this business as well. He owned one of the boats. He wasn't merely a contributor or a working hand. He was a major part of this. They left their families. And they received God's families. Church, Being God's church builders. They left the night. They toiled in the dark through the night for the day. They left toiling. They toiled all night for nothing. They left toiling for grace and purpose. They left nets for adoption, ensnarement for freedom. They left boats. And what did Peter do? He walks on the water, going where one could never naturally go, naturally speaking. And no, they didn't see all this coming. Uh, or no, they didn't. They didn't know what they were getting into. They probably never have followed him. Uh, and that's why faith is essential. And it looks foolish to the world, I know. Um, but we never choose the things that sanctify us. Peter would probably forego denying him if he knew in advance that he would. Or forego, you are the Messiah, and then saying, a few footsteps later, maybe, I don't know. Um, no, you won't go to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He probably would have forewent that day. He would have forewent his being openly rebuked by the Apostle Paul. Galatians. How about if uh, God said, I'm going to put you through a pandemic. No, <laughs> so he says, first of all, I'm going <coughs> to do some tremendous changes in you. Yeah. And in a lot of people. And it's going to be glorious. Yeah. <laughs> While you're going to go through a pandemic. You're like, what? How, how do you connect those dots? Mm -hmm. But you go through, and Luke has a sufferings theme in there as well. Yeah. You go through that, that suffering and you find out it's so clarifying mm -hmm. as to what you're attached to and what you're not attached to. And what is important and what's not important. And who you trust and who you don't trust. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's how it's worked on me. Yeah. And um, basically, how you look at the scenario and say the math doesn't add up on so many fronts, but then you look at your faith and you say, but communities of believers for millennia have said, despite everything I see, I'm going to trust the Lord. Mm -hmm.
We don't have to try to find God. God's there. God's, God was there first. Yeah. That God finds us. Yeah. You know, God, Jesus found Peter and his disciples. Yeah. They, he really, they, he already knew their hearts. Mm-hmm. He knew that, I believe that, they, you know, he, God knew that they were going to follow. Um, but everyone has that right to do that. But we choose selfishly our own ambitious not to take time to follow Jesus. You know, if we want to be more wealthy, I'm going to work on Sunday, you know, I'm going to golf, that's my only day off. Every excuse you can find. Um, but God's there. He's He's waiting on you to make the decision. And I just think, you know, we're afraid at, you know, churches, are they ever going to survive? But really, I think this pandemic, God did cause it. He allowed it. And this is our chance as Christians, as people, to decide what is more important. Are we going to just be lazy? Oh, I quit going out of habit. Or are we going to say, you know, I want to follow him. He is the most important thing. I can't take all this with me when I die. Yeah. Um, so he's, I, I believe he's testing us. He let this time happen to slow our lives down yeah. to see what direction are you going to take. Yeah. I think all of that is why it's so important to have a high a high view of, or just a view of God's sovereignty. Um, God's sovereignty is one attribute of God that um, I find a lot of peace in because he's, like thank God we can't see tomorrow or we can't see the future. We don't need to when we know the one that holds it. And our faith is the object of our faith, so the church would never survive if it wasn't a God-driven vehicle. We'd have pulled the car and they got into the into the ditch before we got out of the parking lot. Joe says the Holy Spirit is the one that's doing the most of the work. He's absolutely right. He's rounding us all up. He's rounding us all up. Yeah, yeah.
about temptation, you would probably think of like money, sex, or power, or something like that. But those are just a means to an end. The end is disconnect human beings from their creator and then debase them and destroy them. Mm-hmm. And this season has been a temptation for our people to fear, which I've seen, mm-hmm. to doubt, which I've seen, and, and, and I'll be honest, I, I, I've experienced a little bit of it myself, mm-hmm. um, and to not trust and um, to give up. And we're going to see that with people. But we're also going to see people who are temp- tested on how well you trust, trusting more. Yeah. You're going to see people who have been tested to doubt, believing more. You're going to see people that have wanted to give in to fear being pretty great yeah. in the power and the love and the sound mind of the spirit enables. You're going to see people say, I was kind of sort of like believing and going to church and it's all good. I'm pretty content to sort of coming away from this saying, I'm now committed to Jesus more than I ever have been in my life because I needed him every day. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Lots to say about that. <laughs> yeah. The, I, I just, I mean, categorically, yeah. I wanted to bring that up. Good. Yeah, we, uh, we, we will. Trying times reveal uh, when the flood comes, we'll know our foundation. Yeah, Joe. Isaiah didn't have a physical person, but a direct command to follow from his his vision, his encounter. Who will go for us? I will send me. And he went. Peter had a physical man to follow, and he left everything, and he went. You might say, well, Isaiah had his encounter, Peter had real deal Jesus, and I would say to you that so do we. We have the real Jesus. We have more knowledge than Peter had. Maybe Isaiah too. The Bible is every bit as authoritative as the message that Isaiah and Peter heard. Um, So like them, stop, drop, and follow. Abandon everything to be abandoned to the one greater than all things. Um, He's going to speak to you when you read his word. That's what the Bible is. God speaking to us. You're speaking to him prayer. Uh, Well, let's pray for that. Father, 
I pray for the conversation that is reading your word and praying to you. For all of us here at FCC, may we experience a revival of communion with you through your word, through prayer. Help us through uh, what you speak and help establish in us devotional hearts. Not just, let us not just be people who do devotions and you're a part of our lives. Let us be people who are devotion, devotional and you're all of our lives. In doing this, you make our eyes to see needs that uh, need to be met. You make us sensitive to your call and needs that are in the world. And in those moments, grant us the, the eyesight, the heart sight, strength and wisdom. Step into those matters. All for the glory of your name. Just joyful to be be belonging to you and wanting nothing else. No reward, because we've already received reward. You've said, you've stood over our humility and our brokenness. You lifted our head. And you gave us, in the gospel, do not be afraid. Jesus, you took our place, paying for our sin, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel can do infinitely more than any amount of time of therapy can do. Because you can restore us into right relationship with you. And so no matter what comes, no matter what residue of our former self is in us, you are greater and you're sanctifying us. Jesus, you are good and you've got us. Thank you for filling us with yourself. For your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Uh, you online, if you have any uh, questions or anything, uh, comments that you'd like to give from home, uh, the email address is on the screen. And uh, anybody here before we, before we go? If there's any, anything anybody would like to say before then? No? We'll see you next week, all right? Read your Bibles. <laughs> all right, we'll see you.